So the topic today is, are you feeling it? So we're on our marriage thing. And I quite, I'm quite glad I got this topic. I really enjoyed putting this together at first. I was like, oh, but it's really fun, actually. So are you feeling? I think it's a great topic because if you've been married more than five minutes, you know you don't always feel it, do you? It's not always fun and happy times, yeah? It's the reality of it, hey? So all you single people, don't switch off. And I won't discourage you from getting married, but there's something in this for you as well. Well, who's, am I right? You don't always feel it, do you? You don't. Don't always feel it. You know, when you first fall in love, it's just, it's just magical, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's roses, it's chocolates. You know, you go out on dates. You get massages with no strings attached. You get, you know, all these lovely things. That's right, he doesn't blush, he just goes browner. (laughs) But you fall in love and it's wonderful and you think life just could not get sweeter and my life is just wonderful right now. Let's get married and it's all going to be fantastic, yeah? (laughs) You know, during that time when you're in that first sense of love and romance, it's, it's really easy to feel those loving feelings, yeah? But I'm sure you can relate to this. (laughs) Thinking about our experience, or shall I say my experience, I won't speak for Brad. Sometimes I look at Brad and I look into those beautiful brown eyes and I think, he's just stunning, he's just gorgeous. How lucky am I to have found such an amazing man? He's so handsome, he's so kind, he's so caring, he's so responsible. I'm just, it's just the luckiest woman in the world. And if I was to apply, <laughs> if I was to put a scripture into the mix here, you know, you think about tying in a scripture to these things, I would pick this scripture. <laughs> now, you don't often hear Song of Solomon's preached in church, do you? It's a bit risque, yeah? <laughs> but when I think about how much I love Brad, and I adore him, I think of this scripture. Chapter 2, verse 3. Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) Now he's really brown. (laughs) But you have those times in a marriage where, you know, you're really feeling it. You're like, oh. It's amazing. I love him. It's so good. And then there's times when you look at your partner and you think, (laughs) well, you think, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And how hard is it to put your shoes on the shoe rack (laughs) instead of next to the shoe rack? (laughs) The amount of arguments that go on about the shoes next to the shoe rack in our house. I mean, it's not that hard. (laughs) But in every marriage, there's definitely times when you feel it and definitely times when you don't feel it. So the question we're going to explore today is how can two people who fall madly in love with each other and uh, express that love through marriage, they stand at the altar and declare their love to one another, saying, till death do us part, end up hating each other. Do you get to the point where you just despise the other person? So that's what we're really going to look at today. And 
on the flip side of that, what does it take to stay in love during marriage? What does it take to stay in love during marriage? You know, because there's always going to be challenges that arise during marriage. There's many obstacles that will come against us, many challenges, but there are also many strategies that we can put in place as married couples to make sure that we stay in love and keep our marriages strong, yeah? So who wants to hear about that this morning? Come on. And I just wanted to just insert into here, like, you know, we're talking about general marriages here, but, you know, there's times where uh, in situations like domestic violence and stuff, obviously we all know that that's a different situation. I'm not referring to any of that this morning. So if you're in that kind of situation, that's a completely different ballgame. But I'm just talking about our general marriages this morning. So healthy marriages not only obviously have benefits for the two people involved, but they have benefits for people around them as well. One of the benefits they have is for the children involved in marriages and also for children in the extended family as well. Because good, healthy marriages provide a sense of security to children. They model to children what healthy relationships look like. Children's, children learn through healthy marriages how to deal with conflict, how to resolve conflict, how to have conflict and how to resolve conflict because conflict is a natural part of life and, you know, healthy marriages model to children how to resolve that effectively in a respectful way that honours each other. It also teaches children how to treat other people as well. So it has a huge impact on the children in your, uh, in your family. You're modelling to them. But it also has an influence on those people around you as well because healthy ma- marriages are a, um, a guide to people around you. So I don't know about you, but I watch married couples and ones that are healthy, I kind of watch, not in a stalkering kind of way, but in a way like, oh, what do they do? What, what tips can I get from them? What can I learn that's going to help in my marriage? So you're learning from people around you. You know, we're in a world that's saturated by bad examples of marriages uh, through media and everything. So, you know, healthy marriages model to our circle of friends, our circle of influence, what marriage can be, you know. And if you're a school mum, you know that at school pickup, there's lots of mums that like to complain about their spouses and stuff. And, you know, there's an area there where you can be an influence of what a healthy marriage is and how you speak about your spouse, you know. You don't have to pretend everything's perfect because nobody has a perfect marriage, yeah? But, you know, it has an influence on those around us. And what you'll find is when you have a healthy marriage, people will come to you and ask for you for advice, and they'll be like, oh, how do you do that? Or how does that work in your marriage? And it gives you a great opportunity to influence them, to encourage them, and for non-Christians to speak into their lives and share, you know, oh, we base our marriage on these biblical principles and so on and so forth. So healthy marriages not only affect the two people involved, but lots of people around them as well. But we do come against challenges to a healthy marriage. You know, I've, I'm yet to see a perfect marriage. I've seen some great marriages. I've seen some terrible marriages. But I, I haven't seen a perfect marriage. And that's good. 
I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect marriage. But I think one of the, the challenges that we face as married couples or somebody contemplating going into marriage is what I like to call the Hollywood effect. You know, Hollywood, from a young age, we are saturated with fairy tales, TVs, movies. They all imprint on our brain ideas of what marriage should be, could be, but they're not necessarily what marriage is or the reality of it. It's really the perception that they're portraying, but it has an influence on us. So some of the ideas that we are saturated in from such a young age as we watch, you know, fairy tales, TVs, movies, is these ideas about marriage. It's that love is at first sight. I'm pretty confident infatuation is at first sight, but I don't know about love. True love is perfect. The relationship, once you fall in love, it consumes your entire being. You're then sucked into a love bubble and you can't have anything happen outside of that love bubble. You're to spend all your time with that person and it's perfect little love bubble. Does this sound familiar to any of you guys from movies, TV? Love requires minimum effort to maintain. We all know that's not true. When you meet the right person, you will be complete. That's probably like the best rom-com one out there, isn't it? I'll be complete when I meet my other half. Is that why we call it the other half? Just a thought. But the problem with these ideas that we're saturated is, is it's fiction and it's fantasy. It's not reality, isn't it? It's not reality. It's fiction and it's fantasy. And there's a difference between romanticised love and what love is really like. You know, I love a good rom-com. And at the moment, I tell you what, with how life's going at the moment with two children, I'd give anything to sit on my own be left alone and watch rom-com. <laughs> it's like my goal. I'm like, can I find time just to sit by myself and watch a movie? would be great. But we can't base our understanding of love and of marriage on the ideas that come from these influences because if we do, we're going to set ourselves up to fail. We're going to have unrealistic expectations of what marriage and relationships are, yeah? And these expectations are ultimately going to lead us to dissatisfaction and disappointment because there's no perfect people just like there's no perfect marriage but there are healthy people and healthy marriages so another challenge that we face in marriage is that you have two people in a marriage and two people that aren't perfect that causes problems yeah so you've got two people coming together who have their own set of values their own set of beliefs, their own set of idealisms about how marriage should be. They have their own set of needs, their own set of wants. They have their own family of origin cultural norms as well as their family that come with it. And, of course, our baggage that we carry into marriage. So we have two people that have all this stuff that come together and are making one. That's an obstacle, isn't it? 
Nobody gets married without all this stuff coming along. There's nobody that doesn't have their own set of values, their own set of ideas of how marriage should be, their own baggage, and come to marriage of a clean slate. You've got two people coming together and they've got all this stuff. What that does is it causes rough seas during marriage because you don't suddenly become married and all those things fall away and you suddenly agree on everything and you suddenly align all your values and stuff. During your marriage, you're working out those differences and and you're growing as individuals, but you have all this stuff. But even with those challenges, I really believe that marriages can be great, can't they? We can have great marriages despite the obstacles that we face. They shouldn't stop us having great marriages because there's things that we can do that can make our marriages great. So, marriage is not without conflict, but conflict doesn't have to be a bad thing. Conflict can actually be a great thing. And like I said before, you know, conflict in a marriage that's resolved in a positive way has huge teaching effects on children and how they grow up and learn. But a great biblical principle, if we're going to look at strategies to have healthy marriages, great, a great biblical principle we can apply to our marriage is Proverbs 4.23. So it'll be up on the screen. It says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. So guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Sorry, I said that wrong. Course of your life. It's really easy to pin our dissatisfaction in our marriage on the other person's behaviour. I mean, I could give you a really long list of all the things that Brad does that drive me crazy and that really annoy me, you know, and I could say things aren't right because he's got this big list. I'm sure he's got a little list on me too, but it's probably the other way around really, but it's all right, we'll go with that. Um, But it's really easy to pin our dissatisfaction on somebody else's behaviour. You know, it can take a lot more effort to self-evaluate what's going on in the inside of us than to say, I blame that person, it's because they don't do this. If they just put their shoes on the shoe rack and I don't have to trip over it every day, I wouldn't be so annoyed and in such a bad mood. (laughs) But it takes a little bit more effort to go, okay, what's happening on the inside of me? What needs are not being met in me? What's happening? What am I feeling a lack of? What's not being fulfilled in me that I'm dissatisfied I want to read to you Matthew 7, 3, 5. This is really cool. It says, And why worry about a speck in your friend's, in this case, spouse's eye, when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your spouse, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your spouse's eye. We're so quick to say, if they would do this, if they would change this, if they would stop doing this, if they would just start doing this, things would be better. 
then we are to say, hold on a minute, what's happening on the inside of me? What's going on in my world? What, what, what am I not sort of getting met? What needs are there that I'm lacking in, that I'm not, my little love tank isn't getting filled in the way that I like my little love tank to be filled? And looking at it from that perspective, then rather than just quick shooting off, it's, it's because, because, because. You know, we come, like I said before, we come into marriage with all this stuff, all this stuff from our past, all our ideas, our values, all our cultural norms, and we really need to, uh, to, to guard our heart and really assess what's happening on the inside of us before we start shooting off blame at the other person. You know, that's really what guarding your heart is. It's knowing what's happening on the inside and protecting yourself, Yeah? means taking responsibility for your thoughts. Guarding your heart means taking responsibility. Take responsibility for what's happening on the inside of you. Not allowing your thoughts to control you, but take responsibility and ownership on them. So what I mean by this is, one example is, if you see a couple and they're doing something that you think is particularly lovely and it raises something in you, but maybe you see a couple and they are going on a romantic holiday together. Or maybe they are, you see on Facebook or Instagram that somebody's husband or somebody's wife just went out and bought them a really cool gift or a really expensive gift. You know, if you're into jewellery, they bought jewellery. Maybe they bought a car. Maybe they just bought flowers. Whatever it is, you see this happening or you see your friends and they're going on these date nights and it just causes in you this sense of, my spouse never does that. How come they don't do that for me? And you start to make comparisons. You're like, but they get to do that. How come... He doesn't do that for me. So I'll use Brad as an example. Why doesn't Brad take me out on a date night? What a terrible husband. He never takes me out on a date night or he never buys me this or never buys me that. And you start to make these comparisons. Once, once you start to make those comparisons, what you, d- what you do is you start to dwell on that and you start to think about it and you think about it and before you know it, you've gone through your whole day thinking, Brad never takes me on a date night. Why does he never take me on a date night? Then you get around your friends and you're like, did you know Brad never takes me on a date night? Can you believe that? He never takes me on a date night. And some of your friends will be like, geez, that's terrible. He should really take you on a date night. <laughs> What's he thinking? Maybe I'll have a word to him. No. <laughs> But what you're doing is effectively you're feeding that comparison and you're feeding that negativity rather than guarding your heart. So if you were to guard your heart, you would stop that. You'd take control of your thoughts and you would stop that before you go down the path of comparison and feeding it and talking about it and making it bigger than it is. What you've done is opened your heart to dissatisfaction and comparison. And at some point, that dissatisfaction is going to cause conflict between you because you're feeding it and it's got to come out some way or another, won't it? So at some point, you're going to be snapping and blaming that person and it's going to cause conflict between you. What course is that setting for our lives? 
you know, if you look at that scripture, guard your heart. Now I've lost it. Can you flick it back up on the screen? Guard your heart for it determines the course of your life, yeah? Can't do it. <laughs> All right. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. You know, when you're doing that comparison, what course are you setting for your life? Are you guarding your heart or are you sending your course on one that's going to cause conflict and dissatisfaction in your relationship? Or are you going to guard your heart, you're going to take control of that thought and do it responsibly, yeah? All right. So... I want to give you an example of something else now. Who likes Porsches? <laughs> now, I, I really don't like cars at all. Like, they just don't do anything for me. But unfortunately, Brad really likes cars and he's taught Caleb all about cars. So we play this car game in the car, going to school all the time and it drives me crazy. But we have to look for cars. Like, we have to look for rare cars and it's like, did you see that car? Did you see that car? And, you know, I could not care less. But anyway, so, and Caleb goes to school in somewhat an affluent area. So cars that are rare are not BMWs, Mercedes or Porsches. They don't make the car. They're not rare enough for our little car trip. <laughs> but I thought this example of a Porsche, you would not buy a Porsche, which is an extremely expensive car, would you, if you weren't going to look after it? If you bought a Porsche and you never serviced it at the right place, taking it to the Porsche dealership, if you never washed that car, detailed it, looked after it, you'd be pretty foolish, wouldn't you? That car is going to decrease in value and you just would never, ever buy a Porsche if you're going to do that, right? Am I right? But we do the same things with our marriages. Our marriages should be a Porsche, yeah? Yet, so many times we don't service that Porsche. We don't service that, that car. We don't wash it. We don't clean it. We don't tune it up. But our marriages need tuned up and they need looked after just as much as a Porsche, yeah? Because they're more valuable than a Porsche. So, you, doing a tune-up in your marriage is the most important thing you can do to maintain the performance and the quality of your marriage, you know, I said earlier that Hollywood gives you this impression that once you meet and fall in love, that's it, everything's great. And usually that's where the movie stops. But there's a lot that comes after that and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of maintenance. Marriage is hard work. You know, when we were getting married, we were engaged, somebody gave us some advice. And I, I laugh at myself now because I actually thought they were really stupid when they gave us this advice. But turns out they were really right. But they said to us, you know, you should really make sure you have a date night when you get married. And I really, I nearly laughed in their face, which is really bad. It wasn't as teachable back then. Um, but I just thought, do you know what I actually thought? I, I thought, that's so sad for you that you have to have a date night. I'm like, when you get married, you like spend all your time together. You like together every night. I thought that's so sad. Have you lost the romance that you have to have a date night? It's really embarrassing to admit that. But <laughs> I have since learned the errors of my way that 
you know, what they were saying is you've got to invest in your marriage. You've got to invest time together. You know, when you, you see each other all the time, but there's a lot of stuff that you talk about that isn't building your relationship. It's like, can you take the trash out? Can you do the dishes? Who's picking up who from school? You know, all these sort of things that need to happen. And having a date night effectively, whether you have a date night out or you have it at home, is irrelevant. What they were saying is you really need to invest into your marriage. And now I, I just laugh every time I think about that because I thought, I thought I knew what I was getting into but how wrong I was. You know, relationships aren't effortless. They take a lot of work. And you need to be building into your marriage to build into your communication and to your commitment to one another. So... Brad and I um, really believe in tuning up our marriage. So we actually went and seen a psychologist at some point and thought, we need to tune up. There's nothing wrong with our marriage. We're all good. We still love each other. But, you know, having a couple of kids, it puts a strain on your relationship and we wanted to make sure our marriage was strong and healthy. So what I'm going to share with you now is the tips that we got So it's not even my tips, it's the psychologist tips. So this will be good, yeah? Have you got your notes ready? (laughs) And we've actually implemented uh, this and it's been really good for us. So I encourage you that, uh, you know, tune up your marriage. Don't be embarrassed to say, let's go get some outside help into this because it makes you healthier and stronger as a couple, yeah? So this is the tips that we got to be in a healthier marriage. Daily debriefs. So if you've done Growing Kids God Ways, they call it couch time and effectively it's the same thing. Oh, you know all about couch time. It's very important. So the idea behind this is that you spend at least 10 minutes a day at the end of the day talking to one another, debriefing with one another. And it's not about just talking. It's a matter of one person listens and one person talks and the person that's listening actively listens, so they're engaged, they're listening. They're not giving advice. They're not fixing what your problems are. They're just listening. They're asking questions to make sure they understand what you're saying. This is a time where you can share what's been going on in your day, your week, your stresses, the good things that have been happening, what's going on in your world and you're connecting with that person, then obviously you flip it around and the other person listens. But before you flip, they have to repeat back to you what you just said so that you know they've heard you. So it's about being heard for what's going on. You're not saying, fix this problem for me. You're saying, listen to me. This is where I'm at. And so you get to do that. And uh, we've done that. We find it quite... We're not completely disciplined that we do it every day but we found it really effective in our marriage all right number two look for ways that you can do little things to communicate love to the other person this is really easy when you're first married because it's all still romance and wonderful but as time gets on it's a bit harder but this is the concept of finding little ways whether it's a text message whether it's a little note whether it's making a cup of tea for the person, whether it's a, just a quick hug or a pat on the back or, you know, a little gift or something, just ways that you can connect. And the psychologist actually said to us to make it into a competition, which is not, not probably not helpful for us because we're highly competitive people. <laughs> um, 
But, you know, see how many things you can rack up. Not to go, I got more than you. But um, see how many, because you can see how that will go bad. But um, see how many things you can do for the other person to make them feel loved. Yeah? All right. And the third thing is negotiation. And I love this one. This is my favourite. And this has worked really well. (laughs) Because like I said before, we come to a marriage with different ideas on how things should be. And we also come with different interests as well. But the idea of this is that you negotiate how things should be. So for an example, you know, you might be married for several years and then all of a sudden you start getting really annoyed about something. You're like, um, let's use finances as an example. So say, for instance, I'm in charge of the finances and uh, the other person suddenly goes, well, who said you could be in charge of the finances? Who said you get to say what we spend our money on? And you've never actually really talked about it and agreed on it. It's just something that's kind of evolved over time. So the concept of this is to find things that you won't need to find them, they'll just be there, (laughs) that you can negotiate on. So whether it's finances or holidays. So you find that thing that is um, you don't both agree on and you negotiate your terms on it. So if it's housework, who does what? Does that make sense? So you're negotiating and, you know, this psychologist said there's some couples that actually need to physically sign, yes, I agree on this, and uh, they plaster it somewhere so they can't go back on it and say, you didn't agree to this. But, you know, and in some areas might be more important to you to than others. So, you know, Brad, he might be more pro, I want to have X amount of holidays a year, and I might be like, well, I really want you to do the dishes every night. And so, we, I might say, yeah, you can have the holidays, but you need to do this. So, there's a bit of give and take in it. So, you're negotiating different aspects so that you're both happy. Because you're never going to both agree on everything, so there's got to be a bit of give and take. But by negotiating on it, you can find some common ground and you can both be happy because maybe you're having a win here and they're having a win here, which means you're both happy, Yeah. All right, so let's wrap it up. So our aim is to have healthy marriages, yeah? Not perfect marriages, but healthy marriages. Healthy marriages that last and go the distance, where we can really say, till death do us part. Two, we need to guard our heart. Be aware of what's happening on the inside of you, okay? Not be so quick to shoot off the blame to the other person, but actually go, What's happening on the inside of me and what do I need to address on the inside of me before I look at the other person's behaviour? And the third one is tune up. Prioritise the health of your marriage. Prioritise whichever way you do it, if it's reading books, if it's seeking advice from people, but prioritise the health of your marriage and invest into it. 